0: Good morning to you. I'm Camper Firmundi, Associate Pastor, and I too would like to, to welcome those of you who are visiting. Uh, we're glad to have guests here. Maybe you are here for a high school graduation, and uh, we're excited that you joined us. Uh, always good to have uh, our missionaries with us as well, so Kiwis, I, I send my, my welcome to you also. And to dads, uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, glad that, uh, that your kids got you up this morning and that you're here as well. <laughs> Well, this this morning we begin a new uh, summer sermon series, uh, our summer in the Psalms. Wanted to begin with a little bit of alliteration to see if you were awake, and if, if you got the the letter yesterday uh, from our session, then and if you didn't get it yesterday, hopefully you'll get it by Monday. But one of the things that you'll discover in there, and that I, I will tell you now, is that we're going to be in the Book of Psalms uh, from now through the end of September, uh, each week in in a different Psalm and. Maybe you already know this, but it's interesting to note uh, that the New Testament quotes psalms more than any other book in the Bible. Uh, so this is a profoundly important book for us to be in. And this morning, we begin with Psalm 1. Uh, it is the first psalm uh, in the book of Psalms, if you are unaware of that. There, there are 150 And of course, Psalms is different than other books, uh, more like Proverbs in the sense that you can skip around, and and that's okay, where it's a little more difficult to do that uh, with other books in the Bible where one chapter builds on the next, on the next, and on the next. But we begin with Psalm 1 not only because it is the first Psalm, uh, but because it is the introduction to the entire book of Psalms. It is the introduction to the Psalter, the songbook, the prayer book of God's people. And in particular, Psalm 1 sings of the choice between two ways of life, two ways of living. And I'm reminded of a brilliant, unorthodox, passionate English teacher that I had in middle school, Mr. Barbary. If you have seen the film Dead Poets Society, Uh, Mr. Barbary was almost exactly like the character that Robin Williams uh, played uh, in that uh, film. Mr. Barbary would stand on the top of desktops to emphasize a point. Uh, He, of course, had one of those big teacher desks, and and I remember when he would, would give us exams, he would go sit under his desk and read a novel. And we could hear him laughing or crying, depending on whatever was happening in this story as he entered in. It was a bit distracting. (laughs) He would take us out to the soccer field. We we could see the the soccer field from the window where where our classroom was. And he would take us out there to take shots on goal uh, while reciting famous lines from great literary works. He led us on nature walks to help us follow the path of a poem. In short, Mr. Barbary was awesome. (laughs) And I'll never forget the day that we reached that famed poem uh, by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I chose the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. No, that has not made all the difference. That's what Dr., that's what Mr. Barbary said, and I was a bit shocked, as you are, and I remember him saying that. I I still don't remember his explanation because it seems pretty clear to me that Robert Frost is saying that has made all the difference. (laughs) But he was convinced, no, it hasn't. But nonetheless, I'll never forget that there were two roads and that they did diverge in a wood, and that it really is important uh, which road we are on. And that's what we're going to consider this morning. Uh, Two roads or two ways to live. That leads to our text, Psalm 1, the introduction to the Psalter. Uh, It's found on page 448 if you're using the Pew Bible. Let me pray for us and then we'll hear God's word. Our gracious God, we thank you. For the gift of your word. And we thank you in particular for the gift of this songbook, This prayer book of your people. Your ancient people and of your people today, the church. Lord, we thank you that this is a, a book profound, deep, a place that I pray you would help us to enter. Stirring up our hearts and our minds to hear from you. To ponder the greatness of the gospel. To enter into these psalms and to call out to you. But for that to happen, Lord, we need you to open our hearts to your word. and We need you to open your word to us. And so we pray once again that you would do that this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And this is the word of God. Well today, as we journey through this psalm, as, as we consider this passage, I want us to do so in two parts. Uh, we'll begin with two ways to live, and then look at one way to delight. two ways to live, one way to delight. So we'll start two ways to live. And, and that's pretty clear here in, in, in Psalm one, that there are two ways to live, the way of the wicked or the worldly. And also the way of the righteous, or, or the godly. Now, the way of the worldly. Now, we all struggle with this way of life, but some are in bondage to it. And then there's the way of the worldly. We, uh, I'm sorry, the way of the godly. We, we were all created for this way of life, and some are finding true life in it. So the worldly and the godly. Uh, let's take a few moments and look, look at the way of the worldly, Now, though illustrated here, it's not really explained, but our our understanding of this way of life comes throughout the the whole counsel of Scripture, throughout God's Word. And uh, So we're going to take one piece and and look at that briefly. For example, this this past week I I was drawn to Philippians 2, uh, a place where Paul contrasts the, the way of the worldly and the way of the godly in light of who Jesus is. And he speaks of our sin. He speaks of, of wickedness, the, the worldly way, uh, using two words, rivalry and conceit. Uh, in verses 3 and 4 of that passage, he, he states succinctly, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. So I want to consider both of those words for just a moment to, to help us better understand what, what I think many of us even realize in our own lives, but sometimes find find it hard to articulate. And Paul does well here, rivalry and conceit. Very simple, uh, but very deep. Each of these is is a compound word uh, in the original language. Rivalry, another good translation, is selfish ambition. Uh, That's how how the NIV puts it. It refers to constant competition, a rival spirit. Literally in Greek, it means hyper-fighting. Can you relate a little bit to that? I mean, think about our own hearts. We can detect rivalry in our own hearts when we've always got to be first, when we've always got to be right. I'm not wrong. I'm right. You are wrong. Or what about how quickly we judge other people? How defensive, how quickly we can become defensive. So that's rivalry. Then there's this word conceit. Uh, Another good translation would be vain conceit, uh, also used in the NIV, or even better, a more more literal translation, empty glory. Or I love the way the King James puts it, vain glory, vain glory. It refers to glory hunger, to being starved for glory. In other words, being starved to matter, being starved. To be significant. Being starved to to mean something. As one pastor puts it, we are most afraid. We are most afraid of not mattering. We are most afraid of not mattering. And so what do we do? We grasp for significance. We grasp for meaning. We grasp for purpose anywhere and everywhere that we can find it. We grasp for glory. In and of ourselves and from the world around us. We, we do this through our acquisitions, through our accomplishments, through our appearances, often posturing ourselves above other people, trying to communicate, I matter. And not only trying to communicate it to other people, but trying to convince ourselves. And ultimately, we come up empty. It's vainglory. So that's just a glimpse of the the, the way of the worldly. Now, reflecting on our struggle in that way of life, I'd, I'd like us to hear from an unlikely theologian. I've quoted her before, so some of you may remember this reflection in her memoir. She writes, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been devoted to conquering some horrible feelings of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being of worth, and, and then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting and worthless, and I have to find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible feeling of being inadequate and mediocre, and it is always pushing me and pushing me and pushing me Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. And those are the personal reflections of Madonna. And to be honest, I must admit that too often that's my own struggle, my own approach, my own perspective to life. Struggling to matter, grasping for glory. And again, we all struggle with this way of life. That's sin. The way of the wicked. And some are in bondage to it. And without being set free, this way of life will ultimately bring destruction and death. Verse 6. The way of the wicked will perish. And the psalmist likens those who embrace the way of the wicked, the way of the worldly to chaff. Verse 4. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff. the, The rootless, weightless, useless husk and straw that the wind blows away when a farmer tosses threshed weed into the air and the wind blows away that which doesn't matter, has no substance, no meaning. So that that which matters that which has weight would remain the chaff way of life has no substance no hope no meaning an award winning novel that later was made into a film i believe in the in the late 80s the title summarizes this struggle this way of life this way of the wicked the worldly so well The unbearable lightness of being. And hear the tagline. In a world in which lives are shaped by irrevocable choices, existence seems to lose its substance, its weight. Hence, we feel the unbearable lightness of being. In and of ourselves, that's what we experience But whereas the chaff person is ultimately blown away, the tree person is firmly rooted and stands strong. So the other way to live, the way of the righteous or the godly. Uh, The way way of the godly, again, we were all created for this way of life and, and some are finding true life in it. Some are finding freedom in it. That's what it is to be found in Christ. To put your trust in Jesus verse 3 He is like a tree planted by streams of water. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And to all that he does, he prospers. Plain and simple. This is a life rooted in and led by God. Like a tree planted by streams of water, he has seasons of fruitfulness. At God's appointed times. Not that He's fruitful in every season, but as God appoints, He bears fruit. But yet He always has consistency of life, consistency of true life within, no matter the season. Able not only to survive, but to flourish despite the storms of life. And this because He is deeply rooted, deeply rooted. Okay, now some of you have tried to remove big old trees in your yard before. And if you're smart, you hired somebody to come remove these big old trees. And I, I live in a neighborhood where there are, there are, it seems like there's millions of trees. At least there were millions of uh, cicadas uh, recently, but definitely lot hundreds of trees. And I, and I have seen some of these trees that have been uprooted. And sometimes those roots go down so deep. thought you could just cut the tree down, pull out the stump, but the roots go down and they, they become intertwined with pipes and they just go on and on and on. These trees, deeply rooted. The tree is not going anywhere. And so you're left with the stump in your yard. Well, that's what this person is like. Planted by streams of water, deeply rooted. Not just drinking, Uh, The moisture that that comes uh, on the top of the soil or even just a few feet down. But whose roots go down deep and drink from underground streams. Drawing hope, meaning, substance, life from God. From who God is, from what God has done. This person is bound to God by faith. Grounded in the gospel of grace. Grace. So how does this happen? How does, how does he become like a tree planted by streams of water? How does he go down deep? How does he draw hope and meaning and substance and life from God? It, and to such a degree, to such a degree that in the words of, of another pastor, rather than being consumed by the unbearable lightness of being, he tastes the wonderful substance of being, the wonderful substance of being in Christ. And that takes us to the heart of Psalm 1, the way to delight. So there are two ways to live, only one way to delight, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. As you know, we were created to delight in God. We were created to find joy in Him. And We all know delight, that, that one, those wonderful moments of experiencing and expressing deep joy and gladness, that, that which we so deeply long. But ever since the fall, we have sought delight apart from God. We go running after other things to to fill us. And again, vain glory. We come up empty. No delight. No lasting joy. But here, the psalmist calls us back to the fountain of life. To God himself. To God's word and God's ways. To know him and to be known by him. Now, as many of, many of you have heard before, the words of John Piper, in particular if you were in that adult ed class that we did in the winter and early part of spring, uh, Gravity and Gladness, the Pursuit of God and Corporate Worship, you heard these words of John Piper every single week. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And that's a call, that's an invitation to delight in God. And so here we are at the opening of God's prayer book for God's people. And we're called to meditate. To meditate on the truth of God's Word. Now, meditate, that's not a word that a lot of us use. Often, but it's right here in the scripture. On his law, he meditates day and night. Same word used in in Joshua 1.8. To remember all these things, to meditate. Hold on to them in your heart. Same word in the next psalm when it uh, talks about the, the people plotting, meditating something deep within us. You see, the way of the righteous, the godly, is nourished Through meditation. And meditation is the way to delight. Okay, but we need to clarify. Because what do we mean by the word meditation? Because there are others that use that word a lot more often than we do. Well, we are not talking about an anti-rational, new age, transcendental spirituality where meditation is about emptying oneself. That is not what we're talking about. But we're talking about biblical contemplation. Meditation and an active, patient pondering. An active, patient pondering. And one of the the Psalms that, I can't remember which one, that that Eugene Peterson translates uh, in his uh, version of the Bible in contemporary language, the message, I, I remember him referring to it as, as a dog chews on a bone. That's meditation. An active, patient pondering, filling, not emptying, but filling both heart and mind with the deep truths of Scripture. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now you may be thinking, That's great, but I don't know how to meditate. Oh, yes, you do. You know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate. (laughs) And it is a bit humorous, but seriously, for a moment, think about that. Instead of spinning on something negative, you do it as much as I do. You get fixated. You become obsessed. You are thinking about it day and night, day after day. Instead of spinning on something negative, you spin on something positive. Namely, the love and mercy of the one who is the fulfillment of God's law. Jesus. Jesus, the perfect fulfillment of God's law. His mercy and grace. And in Jesus, we know the glories of his gospel of grace. but we need to spend time with Him. We need to spend time with Him to grow in our relationship with Him, to become more and more convinced of His love for us. And so often we just don't do that. I'll choose the negative thing to spin on rather than being consumed, rather than obsessing with the God who obsesses over me, who is passionate for me, who would come after me and you. I think back to when Heather and I were engaged. Uh, we were both recent college grads. I had been out a year. She had been out uh, just a couple of months. And we had been, been living that, that previous year in two different states. And so we, we had, had just moved to a, a new place, both starting new jobs, very busy. And we were finding that we were really struggling to connect. Uh, we, we were just missing each other in our relationship. It was wasn't working quite as smoothly as it had seemed on the college campus and so we uh, one of the things we had planned on doing already was to seek premarital counseling and so we did so from uh, one of the pastors at our church and I've I've mentioned Randy uh, before so I remember we er, early on we went in to to talk to Randy about this this kind of missing each other this disconnect and he looked at us and he and, and Randy said you need quality time together that's what you need you need quality time I said, okay, let's schedule some of that. (laughs) Randy said, it it, it doesn't work that way. Quantity time provides the space for quality time. You two need to spend more time together so that you get some good time together. I'll finish the story in a second, but I remember my roommate, he had just gotten engaged And he started seeing Randy after us. And I remember he came home one day and he said, oh, man. I said, what, did you get the quantity time leads to quality time deal today? He goes, yeah. How did you know? (laughs) But I remember Randy explaining this. And I said, no, wait a second. But but Randy, you don't understand. Everything, we're too busy. I'm too busy for this. Can't we just schedule some of this? And he looked at us. He looked at me. And he said, You have time for that which is most important to you. Ouch. But the gospel, I needed to hear it. What is most important to me? What is most important to you? We look at the cross. We see what is profoundly important to God, you and me. Read a, a recent article uh, by Tim Keller. He writes this: "In the richness of my experience of God in prayer, uh, the richness, sorry, the richness of my experience of God in prayer only occurs in the midst of much time set aside to be with Him. The slower pace of the summer months gives me the opportunity to reinvigorate my prayer life, to reawaken the intimacy with God that I so deeply need, that I so deeply crave. The main way I do this is to seek an increase in the amount of meditation. It is no accident that the first two psalms in the Psalter are not prayers per se, But rather, meditations. In fact, the very first psalm, the doorway into the prayer book of the Bible, is a meditation on meditation. Why? We are being taught that while it is certainly possible for deep experiences of the presence and power of God to happen in innumerable ways, the ordinary way for going deeper spiritually is through meditation. It is in meditation that we get into deeper self-surrender, then into higher, clearer glimpses of his beauty, and finally, into powerful, dynamic, dynamic prayer for the world around us. And in the words of the great Puritan, Richard Baxter, Meditation is distinguished from the study of the word, wherein our principal aim is to learn the truth. And meditation is distinguished from prayer, where God himself is the immediate object. Meditation is the affecting of our hearts and minds with love, delight, and humility toward things contained in God's Word. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. The invitation is to meditate on the truth of Scripture, on the truth of God's Word, to the point of delight. An active, patient pondering on the Gospel. Again and again, over and over. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the gospel of God. And on his gospel, he meditates day after day after day. Think of it this way. Meditation is, is a bridge. It, it's the bridge between Bible study to prayer. And it is, it is the piece that we so often leave out. a uh, Personal devotional life. Most evangelical circles... But much of the way that I was, was discipled and much of the way that I have discipled others. Personal devotional life made up of two things, Bible study and prayer. We so often miss the bridge from Bible study. Study of God's word to passionate participatory prayer in the things that God is passionate about. You know those moments when you have read God's word and immediately... Your prayer is just disconnected. Maybe you don't realize, because sometimes I don't. I just, it might take Heather to wake me up to the fact I'm just praying about myself and my wants. But meditation is a bridge. Uh, That's how Martin Luther refers to it. Martin Luther, in his letter, A Simple Way to Prayer, uh, which I I commend to you. You can find it online, A Simple Way to Prayer. This is actually a letter that he wrote to his barber. Uh, You have conversations with the people that cut your hair? So did Martin Luther, uh, even wrote them letters. And in this letter, he says that we should warm the heart. We should warm the heart through meditation before we pray. Meditation is is like warming up the car on a cold winter day. Uh, We shouldn't just turn the key and gun it. No, it's not good for the car. Similarly, through study of God's word we are filled with God's truth. And through meditation on the truth of that word, meditation on the gospel, we warm up the engine of our heart. And then through prayer to God, we put the pedal to the metal and we drive as God directs. Praying in to the lives of others. Offering our hearts to God and knowing that He speaks truth and is convincing us of it. Study of God's word. Meditating on the profound truths of the gospel. And then praying. Participating in God's redemptive work around the world. And prayer that eventually has feet as we get involved with the lives around us. Meditation and active, patient pondering on the gospel. A slow, thorough chewing of the good news The good news of salvation for hell deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus. There is nothing more beautiful than that. Forgiveness of sin, clothed in righteousness, reconciled to God. You matter. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the gospel of God. And on his gospel, he meditates day after day after day. Right now, Heather and I are being discipled by another believer. uh, Lives in another city and we we get together with him uh, from time to time and We asked this person to speak into our lives because we realized we were at a place where we were really struggling to believe the gospel. And this was several months ago, and much of what we're led to do each week is to meditate on the gospel. In other words, to allow our head theology, because as good Presbyterians, we get these really big heads. But to allow the head theology to actually become heart theology. So that what I say I believe, what I preach from this pulpit, would actually be the way that I live. Now you know as well as I do, so often there is a disconnect between that. We say we believe in the beauty of God's grace. And then we are ungracious to others. We say we believe in in the forgiveness of sin. And yet we are unwilling To forgive someone else. We say we believe that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And yet we go grasping for righteousness. Anywhere and everywhere we can find. Self-righteousness. Thinking of ourselves as better than others. How good it makes me feel. When I can look down on you. Or the flip side. How how insecure I become when I think that, that you are so much greater. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're to find our identity, our righteousness in Jesus. So so that that's what what, what Heather and I have been going through, trying to get this head theology into our, our hearts. Now it's hard work. It's very hard work, but it's good. A friend, uh, Heather was sharing with me a, a conversation that, that she had with a friend a few weeks ago. And this friend said, and this is a fellow believer, said, why, why are you doing this? I mean, don't you already believe the gospel? Don't you already get it? And I'm sure the friend was also thinking, and what about your husband? I mean, come on, he's a pastor. Isn't, isn't he supposed to get this stuff? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, I get it. No, I don't get it. I believe. Help my unbelief. Heather's response to this friend echoed C.J. Mahaney in his book, The Cross Centered Life. Never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. The gospel is life permeating, world altering universe-changing truth. It has more facets than a diamond. Its depths man will never exhaust. Further, Mahaney says, The gospel isn't one class among many that you'll attend during your life as a Christian. The gospel is the whole building that all the classes take place in rightly approached, all the topics you'll ever study and focus on as a believer will be offered to you within the walls of the glorious gospel of grace. The gospel is not something that we get when we first become Christians and then we move on to bigger and better things. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the thing. The central truth, the life-giving water. Blessed is the one whose hope is in Jesus. He is like a tree planted by streams of living water. Planted, firmly rooted in Jesus. We need to meditate on the truth of God's word. The gospel of grace, good news for sinners, over and over and over and over, again and again and again and again. I love the way a a fellow PCA pastor down in, in Birmingham puts it. He says, We need to continually soak in the hot tub of the gospel. That's meditation, friends. We need to continually soak in the hot tub of the gospel a patient, an active, patient pondering of all that we have and all that we are in Jesus. That's how we become more and more grounded in the gospel. That's how we grow in believing that, yes, this is true and no other, nothing else defines me. Grounded in the gospel, that's meditation, and that is the way to delight. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.